Out front next, Giuliani bankrupt. Trump's longtime attorney says he's broke. His legal bills are piling up. While special counsel Jack Smith is pressing the Supreme Court to rule quickly on Trump's case, will the court act? Professor Lawrence Tribe is my guest tonight. A new video into CNN this hour of the Texas National Guard appearing to ignore a mother and her baby as they plead for help in the Rio Grande River. It's powerful video, it's disturbing video, but it shows the reality of what is happening right now on the U.S. southern border. And it has been 16 days since top Putin critic Alexei Navalny went missing. His daughter Dasha is my guest tonight. Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, bankrupt. Trump's longtime attorney, Rudy Giuliani, filing for bankruptcy today. The move just one day after a federal judge ruled Giuliani has to start paying the nearly $150 million that a court, a jury ruled that he owes to two Georgia women he falsely accused of trying to overturn the election. Now, Giuliani, of course, is Trump's right-hand man, a person who made himself indispensable to the former president by doing his dirty work so he could stay in power. And by the way, Trump could have paid Giuliani's bills incurred for doing Trump's work. But he isn't helping. And so here we are. This is Giuliani's filing for bankruptcy. It's 24 pages, voluntary petition for individuals filing, it says. 24 pages. And it actually goes through the debts. It's pretty incredible. It, it, it details half a billion dollars in debts. I mean, just remember Rudy Giuliani and all of this talking about America's mayor and the greatness that he once uh, had was worth $52 million at one point. $52 million. He told Time magazine years ago that he was raking in lucrative consulting fees after he had been mayor of New York from all over the world because he had, quote, done some remarkable things. Well, uh, perhaps, you know, maybe not humility there, but it was true. And now Giuliani owes nearly $150 million to just two people, two Georgia electum workers that he defamed. The bankruptcy filing, as I said, nearly half a billion. $1.7 in legal fees, $1.7 million, I'm sorry. Nearly a million dollars in back taxes due to the IRS and New York State. $30,000 in phone bills. It's all uh, outlined here, again, in these 24 pages of a voluntary filing. And it comes as there are developments as well in Trump's January 6th case tonight, because the special counsel, Jack Smith, again, filing with the Supreme Court, demanding that the court quickly make a decision, a ruling, on Trump's claim that he's immune from charges in connection with January 6th. This, this has to be decided before the case can move forward. So Smith is making the argument today that, quote, the public interest in a prompt resolution of this case favors an immediate, definitive decision by this court. The charges here are of the utmost gravity. This case involves, for the first time in our nation's history, criminal charges against a former president based on his actions while in office. So Jack Smith wants this to move quickly, to adjudicate it, to get it to trial, to get an answer to voters before the election. Trump's lawyers are trying to do the opposite. They are asking the court not to intervene, a move that could delay the start of Trump's trial, which is currently slated for March 4th, the day before the crucial Super Tuesday in the GOP primary. And as Trump tries to delay that, he is now facing a disgraced, bankrupt former attorney who knows more about where skeletons are than almost anyone else. And by the way, Giuliani's dire straits and desperation are not just limited to this bankruptcy filing. I mean, take a look at the lawsuits Giuliani still faces. That includes three defamation cases, a lawsuit from Hunter Biden. By the way, he includes possibly having to pay that in his bankruptcy filing. And a lawsuit over unpaid legal bills. So all of this is still out there. There's a lot to break down here tonight, uh, several moving uh, cases this hour. I want to start with Kara Scannell, though. She's out front in New York. And Kara, you've been going through these 24 pages, and there's a lot of information in here. Uh, it's really fascinating. What stands out to you? 
Well, Erin, it has been a mystery what the current state of Rudy Giuliani's finances are. So this document now sheds some light on this. And what Giuliani is saying in here is that he has debts up to as much as $500 million, but he says his assets are up to $10 million. And what we know about his assets is that he owns a condo in Palm Beach and an apartment that he has for sale here in New York for about $6 million. So a lot of this, his assets could be tied up in these properties. But, you know, his biggest debt that he's disclosing in this bankruptcy filing is is that nearly $150 million award that the jury gave to those two Georgia election workers just last week. You know, but we've learned some other details here that he owes uh, nearly $1 million in taxes. That's for two tax years that he hasn't paid. But he also owes about $1.7 million in legal fees, $30,000 in phone bills, and about $10,000 for financial services work that he had done by a consultant. So he has a lot of outstanding debt here. And the real unknown is just how much more might add to that because this $500 million is an estimate because he has all of these outstanding lawsuits, including those three defamation lawsuits related to the election, including ones brought by Dominion and Symantec, those voting machine companies, a $2 million lawsuit brought by a grocery store worker who says that Giuliani had had him falsely arrested, that Hunter Biden lawsuit alleging that Giuliani hacked into his laptop, uh, and some others that are still outstanding. So, you know, it's this is kind of the current state of Giuliani's finances, but he could potentially have more. His lawyer saying that this should come as no surprise to anyone that he was filing for bankruptcy, you know, saying that it would be unreasonable for anyone to believe that he could make this nearly $150 million payment. But the lawyer for those two election workers said that this, quote, maneuver by Giuliani is not going to stop them from getting paid. And if you'll remember, on Monday, those uh, election workers filed a new defamation lawsuit against Giuliani yeah. for continuing to spread those lies. So his legal and financial problems continue to mount. Aaron. All right, Kara, thank you very much with all of those details. And I want to go now to Lawrence Tribe, as promised, the constitutional law professor at Harvard Law. And Professor Tribe, I appreciate your time. I want to start with you with the, with the move here in, in light of this bankruptcy filing from Rudy Giuliani, right, who knows, uh, you know, did Trump's dirty work for him. Trump now is, 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 is trying to delay this case with the special counsel. Jack Smith. And Jack Smith today asked the Supreme Court again, move quickly, he says, bypass the appeals process, give a ruling on whether Trump is immune from the alleged crimes he committed in office uh, regarding efforts to overturn the 2020 election. The question is, Professor, will Jack Smith prevail? Will the Supreme Court move on this? I think he will. Whether the Supreme Court actually leapfrogs the Court of Appeals or decides that because the Court of Appeals is now moving on the fastest imaginable track that it can wait a few days is really beside the point. The question is, will Jack Smith get a final ruling from the United States Supreme Court rejecting the quite extreme claims of absolute immunity for essentially everything he did while president? And I think the answer is it will get that ruling because the Supreme Court whatever its ideological leanings, hmm. recognizes that the people of the United States are entitled to get an answer before the election to the question, are we voting for someone who committed grave crimes while in office, crimes that involved attempting to overturn an election, not just any old crime, but the highest crime of all, essentially awfully close to treason, and the Supreme Court is 
undoubtedly going to recognize that the strategy of delay, 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 which is inconsistent with the very fact that Donald Trump asked for an appeal on this issue before the trial on the ground that every day that the threat of a trial hangs over him, his rights are violated. He's trying to have it both ways. He's saying, I'm entitled to a quick ruling, but not so quick as to yeah. inform the public of whether I'm guilty. That's, you can't have it both ways. And, and I know, obviously, bankruptcy law is, is not your area of expertise. So without asking you the technicals on that, what about the reality that you have a Rudy Giuliani out there now, you know, a dire, dire straits, a desperate man, uh, in this sort of a situation, who knows all the thing he knows about Trump? Does that does that play a role here? Is there is there is there more that could come out of Rudy Giuliani? I don't think it plays much of a role. Nobody's going to believe Rudy Giuliani. He's lost all credibility. Mm. Jack Smith has an overwhelming case without calling a liar to the stand. But maybe Giuliani will make some kind of deal, and maybe that will add to the pressure on Trump. But I think that's a sideshow. In fact, however enjoyable or interesting it is from a Freud point of view uh, to watch uh, America's mayor go down in flames, that's a sideshow. That's not what's critical. What's critical is whether someone who tried to overturn an election so he could stay in power is going to come to power again without anyone ultimately knowing whether he's going to be held accountable for crimes. Professor Tribe, stay with me. Stay with me, if you will. I, I, I just, I know. Uh, please stay with me. I want to just interrupt you because we do have some more breaking news right now that I know uh, the professor is going to want to respond to. But anyone watching here is going to want to hear this. Uh, the Detroit News has a very significant report uh, just crossing tonight that I want to share with you, just coming out, saying that then President Trump is actually recorded on tape. And he is recorded on tape pressuring two Republican members of the Wayne County canvassers, uh, most populous county in, in Michigan, not to certify the 2020 presidential election. Now, this is a phone call. According to a phone call on November 17th, 2020, Trump is on the phone call, right? So Trump's on the phone call with, with, with just people certifying an election in a state. And he's telling the two Republicans that they'd look, quote, terrible if they signed the certification, adding, quote, we've got to fight for our country. We can't let these people take our country away from us later saying you take care of lawyers for them. According to this report, which is just breaking, the chairwoman of the Republican National Committee, Ronna McDaniel, was also on the call and then told the two canvassers, quote, if you can go home tonight, do not sign it. We will get you attorneys. And that's when Trump replied, quote, we'll take care of that. Craig Mauger, who broke this story, uh, is for the Detroit Noise News, joins me on the phone. Craig, I just had a chance here to, 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 to read this uh, as, as you... Uh, as this is crossing your breaking news, I just want to emphasize here, this is, uh, at best time, the president of the United States on tape recorded for four minutes of a longer exchange uh, talking, pressuring these individuals. You've heard much of this tape. Can you tell us what you hear Trump say? What I heard listening to the audio of this conversation was the then president of the United States encouraging, pressuring, contending, arguing in favor of these two Republican county canvassers not signing the certification of the 2020 election for Wayne County. Wayne County is a Democratic stronghold in Michigan, and it's the state's <coughs> largest county as well. So is there anything else uh, 
you know, that that could have happened in the other minutes of the call? Or how are you aware of exactly how long the call was or or anything else uh, that that you may not have heard that could, I don't know, change the context here or add context? You know, we we heard four minutes of what could be an up to 11 minute call, according to Verizon phone records that were previously obtained by the January 6th committee. We don't know what was said during the entirety of the call. We do know that the Wayne County canvassers have previously, the two Republican Wayne County canvassers, have previously said that the call was simply just Donald Trump thanking them for their service on the canvassers and nothing. They have they have said previously that they didn't remember anything specifically being stated about the 2020 election. They didn't remember that. The recordings that I have reviewed show that the call was heavily about the 2020 election and yeah. very much about the certification vote that had just taken place. Right. And telling them not to, to certify. I mean, it is pretty stunning. And, and again, that the president of the United States is on the call. How did the canvassers respond to Trump? I know you're saying that they say retrospectively that they didn't remember 2020 being a big part of the call. Clearly, in the four minutes you heard, it was it was what the call was about. How did they respond to him? They didn't say a lot on the call, on the recordings that I was able to review. They did not say a lot. I think what they did say was try to argue in favor of what they had just done. If you go back to November 2020, what happened during this very contentious canvassers meeting where the Wayne County results were certified is the two Republican canvassers initially voted against certifying. There was immense pressure put on them. There were lots of arguments made from members of the public and public comment encouraging them to certify. And eventually a deal was brokered. The Republicans agreed to certify the election, vote to certify it, if they could also demand an audit be done of the election. So with that deal, they voted to certify the election. However, after casting that pivotal vote, they left the meeting without signing the statement of votes, uh, you know, confirming what the vote tallies were in Wayne County. After they left the meeting, that is when the phone call with the then president and Ronna McDaniel, the chairman of the Republican National Committee, took place. Obviously, which would you know appear appear that the, the, the former president then is intimately involved, right? Knows when to make the phone call exactly at the moment when this is happening, right? It's not a random uh, happenstance. I mean, just to state the very obvious here needs to be stated. Uh, Craig, from your reporting, and you just mentioned it, Ronna McDaniel, the RNC chairwoman, was also on the call. So there were the two canvassers, the president of the United States and Ronna McDaniel. What role did she play that you heard? The call came from Ronna McDaniel. I mean, Ronna McDaniel is from Michigan. She has a lot of connections to Michigan politics. That's previously been reported that the, there were two calls that night that came from Ronna McDaniel to Monica Palmer, who was one of the two Republican canvassers. So it appears that the RNC chairwoman kind of facilitated this call, had the president on the call. They were both both making arguments against signing the certification. There was a comment made on the call by Ronna McDaniel where she told them, if you sign this certification and don't get this audit, she said something to the effect of, we will never, ever know what happened in the 2020 election. That was the pressure that was put on them. If you sign this and don't get the audit, we're not going to know what actually happened. should note, of course, the margin of victory for Biden in the state of Michigan was 154,000 votes. Um, 154,000 votes. Um, Craig, do you know why the call came out now, like why you're getting this information now and whether Jack Smith's team has this recording as well? 
that we put this thing away. I can't answer that. I, I really can't answer either of those questions. Um, I know that it took um, some significant time for us to be able to get our hands on this recording. Yes. Um, there was a lot that went into it. Uh, can't really say much more than that. I, I can only imagine. I want to ask you. I want to ask you one other thing, Craig, before you go, and that is just listening to it. Um, what was the, what was Trump's tone like when he's talking to them and pressuring them in this moment? How how would you interpret sort of the tone in his voice, uh, his emotion in it? Uh, I would say it was an appeal to these these canvassers. It was a direct appeal to them. He made a lot of comments that were similar to other comments that he had made. Um, unproven claims of fraud in the election, arguing that there was something extremely improper that happened in Detroit, Michigan's largest city. He was kind of making a lot of the same arguments he had unleashed on social media, but in this situation, he was making them directly to these canvassers, basically and directly asking them, how could you sign this, knowing what I'm telling you? How could you sign it? And, And the comment that you mentioned earlier really struck me, where he, the president of the United States, told these two county canvassers that they would look terrible if they signed this, according to their recordings. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is important just to think about it, right? They're getting a call, two canvassers in Wayne County, Michigan, from the president of the United States. And just the power disparity, the way they would have felt getting such a call, the pressure in that in and of itself. Craig, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing all this reporting. And I hope everyone will go uh, see Craig's full reporting uh, in the Detroit News. Uh, Professor Lawrence Tribe is back with me now. So, Professor, what do you take away from all of this? You did two, uh, you know, GOP Wayne County canvassers. They get a call. Uh, Ronna McDaniel from the GOP uh, uh, RNC it hooks them into the president of the United States. And now Craig's had an opportunity to hear this call and a very clear, direct appeal from the president to two county level employees telling them not to certify the election. Well, assuming it's all accurate, and I just heard this for the first time, so I'm not going to make a you know, a final judgment about anything. But assuming it is what it appears to be, it makes you think of all the pressure and and defamation directed at Shea and Ruby Moss. It makes you think of the Raffensperger call where he's trying to twist arms and say that you're going to get in trouble unless you find me the votes I need. This is all part and parcel, it appears, of an extended plot going back way before January uh, 6th and extending right up until the violent insurrection, an attempt to interfere with the central process of democracy, the process of making a peaceful transition to the newly elected president. And I can imagine whether special counsel Jack Smith already has this evidence or is in the process of developing it, that the trial we're going to see that is supposed to begin on March 4th is going to be dynamite. No wonder the president wants absolute immunity. No wonder he wants to delay the trial. No wonder he wants to prevent the American people from learning Mm. the details of how he tried to steal an election that he had lost in the name of what he calls the big steal. You couldn't make this stuff up. And, Professor, I understand, you know, he'll say that these are things he had said in other settings publicly. But when you think back to Nixon, right, and then it's caught on tape of him him directing, right? And now here you actually are going to hear his voice, that he is on tape, the former president of the United States. He can't say somebody else was doing it. He can't say I didn't know what was happening. Right? He did it. 
He got on the phone with two county-level election canvassers in a state that he lost by 154,000 votes and said it would be terrible if they signed the documents to approve certification of the election. Is there something just right, significant well, he, in that right. moment? You know, his vo- there, there's no separation. If these tapes are there, that's very clear. Well, it, it, it suggests that the trial is going to be truly extraordinary. The power imbalance, as you point out, is going to be vivid. You know, when people say, golly, I wonder if there are tapes, there are tapes that appears. And hearing the voice of a desperate man who just refuses to take no for an answer, refuses to admit his loss, and tries to stay in power no matter what, ask yourself, is that somebody that you can trust in the next election? That's why the disqualification clause is so important, because the whole theory of the Constitution is that when someone takes an oath to the Constitution, then tries to overturn it, you can't trust that person to run again. If that person manages to win, then that person's going to hold power and may never let it go. If he doesn't manage to win, he might figure out a way to make it look like he's won. It's very dangerous, and that's what we face. It's the prospect of losing our democracy. That's that's really a major thing. That's not a small matter. You can talk about uh, <clears throat> Rudy Giuliani's bankruptcy or gasoline prices, but this is the ball game. If we have a dictatorial guy who's willing to use the pressure of the presidency on ordinary people, what's he going to do to you and me? What's he going to do to people who want to exercise their freedom, whether it's their reproductive freedom, their freedom of speech. Democracy is not an abstraction. We're dealing with the limitless power of somebody who has no scruples, knows no limits, and is willing to do anything to seize and remain in power for his own benefit. That's what we're hearing, and I think we really need to take that into account between now and November. Professor, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Professor Tribe, they're weighing in on this breaking news out of the Detroit News. Karen Agnifilo Friedman and Marshall Cohen uh, join the conversation now. Marshall has done extensive reporting on these canvassers. Ryan Goodman is on the phone as well. But Marshall, these canvassers, you have reported extensively on this and you knew that there was a recording. We're now finding out what was on it and you hear the President of the United States on it. You hear, uh, at least uh, Craig uh, Mauger was saying, he heard four minutes, uh, which included the President of the United States uh, speaking. Can you put this in context for us? Yeah, we knew that there was a phone call. This is the first time we're actually hearing what was exactly uttered on the call, thanks to this great reporting from the Detroit News. Put yourself in these people's shoes. They are local county canvassers, local folks in Detroit, getting a phone call from the president of the United States, the highest office in the land. This is unprecedented, and it was at a moment in time when Donald Trump was trying to do everything in his power to stop the certification of the results in Michigan. He lost by over 100,000 votes in that state, but he was trying to find any lever of power that he could find to stop it. He had invited the top state officials to Washington, met with them in the Oval Office, the head of the state House and state Senate, both Republicans, to try to twist their arms. They ended up putting out a statement saying there was not massive fraud. And then he went lower on the totem pole and went to these local officials, got them on the phone, convinced them in a, a, a look at these quote, convinced them to rescind. He said, 
we'll take care of that. Uh, Ronna McDaniel from the RNC, do not sign it. We'll find you attorneys. Don't do it. They ended up trying to take back their votes. It was too late. They voted to certify the results. Um, but it just shows how Trump tried to find anybody, yeah. anywhere, who could gum up the works and overturn a lawful election. And Karen did it himself, directly and personally. He was aware of it, was aware of what was happening, was aware that at this moment a vote was happening, was looped in on the phone call to do it himself, to, to put that, to exert that pressure on those county-level employees. And he said, uh, from Craig's reporting, that it would be, quote, terrible if these two canvassers signed the documents. He continued to say, according to Craig's reporting of the call, we've got to fight for our country. We can't let these people take our country away from us. How big of a deal is this recording now that we know some of what's on it, Karen? There's, for a prosecutor, there's nothing better than a defendant's own words on tape, it's doing and saying the exact thing you accuse them of doing. So for Jack Smith, this is extremely powerful evidence of Donald Trump's intention and his corrupt intention and his pressure campaign on the local level, which is part and parcel of what he's charged with in the sweeping Jack Smith indictment, the Jan 6 indictment. There's a whole section on there on the pressure campaign to the states, including Michigan. And so this is just direct evidence for Jack Smith and will be front and center at the trial. I also think that the fact that he's saying, we'll get you lawyers, we'll pay for you, your lawyers. In some ways, I would argue that that's evidence that he knows what he's asking them to do is illegal. And so I think huh, this is right because you're going to need a lawyer. <laughs> Exactly. So this is extremely powerful evidence for a prosecutor. Ryan, what's your takeaway from what you've heard? Similarly, I think that this is very damaging information against Donald Trump. The one line that also stuck out to me is Ronna McDaniel on that call says, quote, do not sign it. We will get you attorneys, end quote. So who's the we? It's her and she's only there in the call with somebody else, uh, President Trump at the time. We'll get your attorneys means that they're all aware that they're at minimum skating the line of illegality, if not going right over it. It fits in with the pattern of conduct that is the theory of the case for Jack Smith. And it's not only the pattern of conduct that's in the indictment in which Donald Trump is pressuring the Secretary of State Raffensperger in Georgia, pressuring the Arizona House um, uh, Rusty Bowers, um, but also Mike Pence, which is a key part of the case. And here's the same kind of pattern of conduct. What is the president himself doing? He's pressuring the individual to do something that is completely outside the bounds of their legal authority to throw the election. So I think that's the way in which um, Jack Smith will present it to the jury. And it's, as uh, Karen said, the fact that it's the defendant himself on audio makes it incredibly credible yes. for the jury. And I, and I will say, as Ryan said, Ron McDaniel says, if you can go home tonight, do not sign it. We will get you attorneys, uh, as Craig reports, to which Trump added, we'll take care of that, uh, making it clear. Ryan, Karen, Marshall, thank you all very much uh, as we are just getting this breaking news in. And next, more breaking news. We have some new video tonight. It is from the southern border, and you'll see what it is. It's a woman and a child struggling to stay afloat in the Rio Grande. Soldiers from the Texas National Guard uh, are there. We'll show you exactly what they do and do not do. 
We'll show that to you. And more on the breaking news out of Michigan, a special investigation into the state's Republican Party. The leader of the party being called a dumpster fire. Fears that the situation could cost them the election. With all this breaking news out of Michigan tonight, that special investigation is later this hour. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking news, new video into CNN appearing to show the Texas National Guard ignoring the pleas of a woman holding a child and begging for help in the Rio Grande River. Both appear in danger of drowning as soldiers watch from a boat. The Texas National Guard denies this allegation. Here's some of the video. Priscilla Alvarez is out front at the White House. And Priscilla, what more are you learning about this video? Aaron, these are the types of incidents that have caused alarm here at the White House as there has been a surge of migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border. And as you show there in this video obtained by CNN, the woman is seen calling for help with a crying baby in her arms in the Rio Grande as those members of the Texas National Guard watch but do not intervene. Now, we know that eventually the woman with the child was able to get to the Mexican side of the border. It's an incident that was filmed by an immigration activist who was in the area working on a project about public safety. And this happened on December 12th. Now, the Texas military department denies that the members uh, didn't help when asked, saying, quote, Texas National Guard soldiers approached by boat and determined that there were no signs of medical distress, injury, or incapacitation, and they had the ability to return the short distance back to the Mexican shore. The soldiers remained on site to monitor the situation. But Aaron, it is situations like this that underscore how untenable the U.S.-Mexico border has become as more migrants 
cross on a daily basis. And just today, President Biden speaking with Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador about the unfolding situation and placing pressure on his Mexican counterpart to provide more assistance to stem the flow of migrants. Now, the two agreed that urgently enforcement is needed and senior U.S. officials are heading down to Mexico in the coming days to continue those discussions. Aaron. All right, Priscilla, thank you very much uh, with all of your reporting from the White House. And I want to go now to Basil Smigel, the Democratic strategist. So Basil, look, this issue is clearly hurting Biden. I mean, there's a reality from the polls, at least, that we see. So uh, when you look at polling, who better handles, handles border security? Basic question right now, Trump and Biden, they were about tied in 2020. Okay, that is not the case now. Trump beats Biden by 23 points. I mean, that's that's a stunning move by, by anyone's uh, measurement, uh, even as the former president is out saying things like this. They're poisoning the blood of our country. They come from prisons. They come from mental institutions and insane asylums. Many are terrorists. What they're doing is destroying our country. And he's up by 23 points. That's right. And it's actually, if you remember in 2016 when he first ran, he used rhetoric that was bad. And you wouldn't imagine that it could get worse. And it's actually gotten worse. Um, I, I, part of, I think, the lead in, in on this issue over Biden is that the strongman talk, the sort of us versus them, that for a number of Republican voters is is a winning strategy. I, I think it, in my view, embodies the politics of pain. When you listen to that baby crying, there's no way that you could say that something is not wrong is wrong here. Something is clearly wrong. These individuals are going are, are making this tremendous treacherous trip, leaving some extraordinarily treacherous circumstances, and instead of um, trying to help solve the problem on the border. Uh, these governors, including uh, Governor Abbott, are exacerbating the problem by just putting them on a plane or a bus and sending them north. So the, the reality of it is, though, as Trump has, has gained so significantly yeah. in terms of public views of his handling of this, Democrats have also attacked Biden on this. Yeah. Border Democrats, right? Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs, who, you know, a big, big Biden backer, quote, I'm taking action to fix the migrant crisis where the federal government will not. Mark Kelly and uh, Kirsten Sinema wrote a letter to Biden. They say Arizona communities have paid the price for Washington's failure on the border. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> those are, that's not mincing words. It's not. And in fact, I would even add the, the mayor of the city of New York, a Democrat, who has taken the Biden administration to task. In fact, Republicans have used his language in ads. He's telling people to go to D.C. to protest. And, and, and he's, yeah, he's telling, he's telling average parents, average families who are concerned about the budget cuts he has to make um, to go and help him complain to D.C. Uh, for this crisis. So, yes, there are Democrats that are upset. There are Republicans that are upset. If I'm Joe Biden... I, what I have to do, A, is solve the problem. However, we know this is a vexing issue that's not going to get solved in one campaign cycle. But what he can do is find a way to assuage the concerns of these mayors and governors. You had the mayor of Chicago talking today and complaining about, about this. Find a way to assuage the concerns of these leaders so that at least you don't, that you don't have these folks in your party attacking you. We can't talk about what Greg Abbott and uh, what Governor Abbott and others are going to do because they're just going to do what they have been doing. Politics of pain. But at least for those that want to try to solve the problem, you can find a way to sort right. of work with them. A friendly, to, to stop the friendly fire. All right. Well, thank you very much, Basil. I appreciate it. And next, top Putin critic Alexei Navalny now missing for 16 days. His family sounding the alarm. 
His daughter is out front. She'll share with you what she knows about her father. Plus, we're staying on the breaking news out of Michigan. The Detroit News just moments ago reporting the days after the 2020 election, then President Trump was caught on tape pressuring two county level Republican workers to not certify the state's presidential election. The state he lost by 154,000 votes. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Sixteen days. That is how long Alexei Navalny has been missing. Allies of the top Putin critic posting this photo of an empty courtroom because he failed to appear, they say, again for yet another hearing. So he's had hearing dates, you know, as, as, as ridiculous as that term may seem in the Russian justice system. He's had hearing dates, but he's not even showing up for them. They write, quote, that the court has no information about where he is. Navalny's team was told that Navalny left the penal colony where he was being held just about two weeks ago. Now, they have contacted more than 200 other detention centers across Russia to try to find out, is he registered anywhere else? Has he been transferred? They have not yet found him anywhere. And Alexei Navalny's daughter, Dasha, is with me uh, tonight. So, Dasha, I mean, you know, you you, you deal with um, the the uncertainty and the fear that your family deals with every day. And then uh, your father is supposed to show up for a court date and he doesn't. And now 16 days are passed and you're trying to figure out where he is, if he's another penal colony. Have you heard anything at all, any more details that would give you and your family an indication of where he is? Nothing. Uh, We've we haven't heard any new information for the past 16 days, which is very concerning. And we've been uh, we started a global campaign of where is Navalny. There is a multiple cities around the world in Russia and in New York as well. Today, I attended a rally in front of the Russian embassy with a group of uh, people who were are asking the same question. Where's Alexei Navalny? We don't know where he is. Our team, the Anti-Corruption Foundation team, has appealed to the United Nations Human Rights Court and they granted our appeal to ask the Russian government where he is. Officially, governments around the world has asked where he is, and the Russian government is refusing to say Putin is just hiding my father from us. I mean, what I find incredible, Dasha, is that the Kremlin just dismisses all of this. So the, the Putin spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, he told reporters, we have neither the opportunity nor the right nor the desire to track the fate of prisoners who are serving sentences by court decision. So start acting like your father is some unknown name, not the right. lead opposition figure in, in Russia. Um, someone they aren't involved with. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you even believe a statement like that? <laughs> it's ridiculous. And they are certainly just wasting time. Uh, when my father was poisoned uh, with Novichok two years ago, their main objective was to waste time, was to not let people into his hospital room. And it's the same thing that they're doing right now. And mm. what they're trying to do is they want us to get scared. They want us to stop working. They want the Anti-Corruption Foundation to fall apart without one of his main leaders, my father. And that's not going to happen. We're going to continue doing our work. 
We're going to continue releasing investigations, and I'm going to continue coming on CNN and talking about these issues. So, you know, when you talk about what they're, how they're trying to make you afraid, they, they, he was scheduled to be transferred to another penal mm-hmm. colony, even if technically he was already in one of the worst, a, a, a technically a worse level, I guess, on mm-hmm. the gradation of the system. Um, but the transfer process yes. is when can be a long time. People go out of contact. Mm-hmm. Things can happen. Um, you know, Vladimir Karamurza and his wife, yes. Eugenia. So she uh, recently was talking to me about this time when someone is transferred from one to another. And here's how she described it, Dasha. This is a very dangerous period in the life of any prisoner, especially political prisoners in Russia, because the Russian government is now using a new tactic, a new method of silencing these opposition activists. Um, they tend to lose prisoners during transfer. These are the fears I know that you and your family have. I mean, how worried are you about what he might be facing right now in this, this essentially void that you're in? Uh, when, when it comes to political prisoners in Russia, and especially my father, there's no rules that the Russian government obeys. So we knew for a very long time that it's going to be difficult and that he's going to be arrested when he goes back ultimately. And whatever the consequences of that, I've accepted those a long time ago. However, my father is an incredibly brave man. And I like to think that I, I've gotten that gene from him as well. Mm-hmm. And the courage that he demonst- he's dem- demonstrated to me my entire life, I... I'm hopeful that he is just being transferred to another prison. Like you've mentioned, we've reached out to over 250 different colonies around the country. And uh, so far, most of them have responded. It's quite funny. Most of them have responded in caps lock with a lot of exclamation points that he is not here because we keep asking and asking and asking because we want to know where he is and we won't stop until we do. All right, Dasha, thank you very much. As you thank say, you. your father's bravery and his fierceness. I know a word, <laughs> I know a word that you embrace as well. It's good to see you. Thank you. And next, more on our breaking news out of Michigan. The Detroit News reporting that then-President Trump was caught on tape pressuring canvassers uh, from the state's biggest county, Wayne County, not to certify the 2020 election, got on the phone and did it himself. Plus, CNN is on board as a helicopter flies over the Iceland volcano. We're following the breaking news, the Detroit News obtaining audio of President Trump pressuring two Republican county-level canvassers in Michigan, pressuring them not to certify the presidential election of 2020. Trump saying, quote, on this call, according to the report in the Detroit News, quote, we can't let these people take our country away from us. It comes as a new CNN investigation reveals the state's Republican Party is in turmoil. Members describing Christina Caramo, an election denier and conspiracy theorist who chairs the state party, as a, quote, dumpster fire. Jason Carroll is out front with this out front investigation. Michigan is ground zero for the globalist takedown of the United States of America. This is the person some are accusing of being behind the trouble plaguing Michigan's Republican Party. I saw firsthand uh, the systemic election corruption. 
She's Christina Caramo, former community college professor, former poll watcher, election denier, and conspiracy theorist, and the current chairperson of the Michigan Republican Party. She's very charismatic. When you hear her speak, she can get a crowd going. She was grassroots. We're grassroots. For a time, Bree Mogenberg and Andy Seabolt were among Caramo's biggest supporters. Now, they are some of her strongest critics, calling for her to be removed from office. I'm sorry because I voted for her. She's losing supporters, I mean literally hemorrhaging supporters. Another state committee member referred to her in an email as a tyrannical, incompetent dumpster fire. Paramo lacked much political experience, but rose quickly within the state GOP, promoting her steadfast support of Donald Trump and strong Christian beliefs. In 2022, she lost the race to be Michigan's Secretary of State, but in February was elected chair of the state's Republican Party. Since then, her critics say the state party has been bogged down with infighting, dysfunction, and according to documents, dismal fundraising. We're bankrupt. It's provable. You're broke. Yeah, correct. Yeah, she ran it into the ground. Warren Carpenter is a former party district chair and former Karamo supporter who shares her election-denying views and conservative values. Her disdain for the establishment and lack of political or business experience was also part of her appeal to her supporters. You understand what's, what some of your critics will say. They'll say, you got what you asked for. This is the person I was wrong. Yeah, full, full stop, I was wrong. I was on her team until I saw the financial situation. Warren shared documents with CNN that appear to show the party had a net income of about $71,000 between March and November of 2023. Compare that to how much Caramo said she hoped to raise. It will require, I believe, at least $50 million, and I'm very confident that I will be able to raise that. Millions needed and little to show for it. Couple that with what critics call questionable spending decisions, like taking out a $110,000 loan to pay actor Jim Caviezel, who has pushed false QAnon conspiracy theories to speak at a major event the party hosted in September. The situation so dire, some members of the party's budget committee have resigned. A member warned the party faced imminent default on the line of credit and now worries the dysfunction in Michigan could have broader implications in a state where Trump won in 2016, then flipped, and Biden won in 2020, both by narrow margins. When a state party is falling short on its fundraising, it can have an impact on anybody who's on that ballot. President, senator, mayor, member of Congress. Caramo wouldn't speak to CNN. We come to the table with almost no political experience and we don't view that as a bad thing. But her deputy chief of staff, Joel Studebaker, and Ken Beyer, a district chairman, say Karamo's critics have not given her a chance. How much have you raised this year? Far less. It's been a challenge. It's been a challenge. How I much mean, can you put it down? I, I don't know the exact dollar amount, but it's, you know, it, I don't know that it's over a million. She's not a a business person. We knew that when we elected her. But is that now starting to come back to sort of to bite you because the business of this is not working. It's failing. What she's doing is she's motivating a bunch of people within the community to get active inside their own neighborhood. Byer says the Republican establishment set Karamo up to fail by sending their donations to other GOP state organizations. These folks are pulling the rug out from Christina and then blaming her for falling.
But Karamo's critics say she's not making enough effort to reach traditional Republicans, arguing she has gone out of her way to alienate them with statements like this. The Michigan Republican Party operates like a political mafia. A conference volunteer list leaked to the press also has not helped. It ranked potential volunteers one to four, one being patriot to four being me first or rhino. State committee member Bree Mogenberg was ranked a four. She's disenfranchising the voters. She's disenfranchised us. And that is not how you build up a team. That is not how you unite the Republican Party. Karamo's detractors took steps to try and remove her from office in this meeting. If they would stand down and, and take the energy that they're using to try to destroy us and try to help us with the experience that they have, we'd be unstoppable. Too late for former supporters such as Warren Carpenter. I don't want her to do anything except for resign. And I'll tell you what, if she doesn't, then we'll remove her. Jason Carroll, CNN, Dearborn, Michigan. And next, CNN gets rare access to that Iceland volcano. You'll see it from the air. CNN getting a rare look at the Iceland volcano from above. Our Fred Plaken got a ride on a helicopter to see the extensive lava field. Look at this. This is an amazing thing to be witnessing from up here. We can see just how active the volcanic zone still is. We can see the lava. We can smell the magma. We can feel the power that our planet is unleashing. It's incredible for Fred to have seen that and shared it with us. Officials warning uh, any tourists to do that, obviously, to stay away. But uh, thank goodness for Fred and that incredible reporting. Thanks so much to all of you for being with us. AC360 starts now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.